Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a monthly Games Club podcast discussing the worlds and workings of video games. I'm Brian Skirsha. I'm Josh Kalecki. And I'm Clint Jones. And this month we're talking about Subnautica. Uh, we'll be talking some spoilers as we go through, so just a heads up if you're sensitive on that. So, Subnautica is an open-world survival game from Unknown Worlds Entertainment, and they're a small group of indie developers who were previously known for their work on the Natural Selection series. Uh, it was released back in December 2014 as an early access game on Steam, and after about three years of active development, they got a full release in January of 18. And while early access games are often a point of contention, in my opinion, this game is a prime example of what early access games should be. They actually published their development Kanban board out to the public, which you can still find on Trello, with all their roadmaps, development plans, and bug reports listed for everybody to see, just really transparent. And what we ended up with was a really polished product that now sits at number eight on PC Gamer's top 100 list. So Clint, uh, I understand you've played this, been playing this for a while. Well, yeah, when, when did you start playing it in the early access cycle? I actually didn't. I picked it up the day it came out. Oh, gotcha. Oh, interesting. So you, uh, despite the fact that we're we're covering this as sort of an exemplar of the uh, early access model, none of us actually played at early access, which is ironic. No, I like to play games once they're fully polished, just so I... The first experience with, with a game is always my favorite, and especially a game like this, where a lot of it's around the mystery and discovering things. I wanted to get a chance to do that once it was the way it was intended to be. And I think it turned out really well. Yeah, I totally agree. It's it's one of those games that came out pretty polished and, you know, just to give it a, a basic overview, you know, you are a survivor of a space shipwreck, uh, crash landed on a vast deep ocean planet and basically you are uh, doing the typical survival tropes, forging for food, managing uh, oxygen levels when diving and exploring deep sea trenches on the way to you know, finding out what actually happened on this weirdo planet that you landed on. You've got your resource management, but you've also got your exploration. And for me, this was a real high point of the game, the way it handled exploration. We can get into that a little bit later, though. I think above all, though, the thing this game captures better than almost any game I've seen is the feeling of horror and terror. Um, the unknown is out there and it's coming to get you. The interesting thing about uh, terror, <laughs> the way you describe that, is um, the director. What's it, what was his name? Uh, Cleveland. Uh, Charlie Cleveland. Charlie Cleveland. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, actually, describes this game in his own words as a terror game instead of a horror game because you know while horror is just sort of a, a, a creeping dread, people <laughs> he really sees this game as like a series of sort of terrorizing moments and. You know, there's a subtle difference there between the sort of psychological horror you see in something, you know, more typical in like an amnesia versus what you're going to see in, in this game, which I appreciate. Yeah, they really played off of a fear that most people have. I had to look this up, but it's uh, thalassophobia. It's the, the fear of open water. And a lot of people, whether they have it real bad or not, they have that very large discomfort when they're they're out on the ocean because you know you're in an alien place a place where you don't belong where you don't know what's going on around you and your imagination gets a hold of you and you know that that's not a place where you can survive and that's kind of where they put you for this whole game and at the beginning you know you're, you're in a happy area where you or i might pay to go snorkeling on vacation it's beautiful but in order to to progress the game you continue going deeper and deeper and the sun goes away and it all closes in around you and uh, 
the noises. Yeah, that was the that was the craziest part. I played this game with uh, my uh, surround sound headphones on, and some of those deep, deep alien sounding noises when you start getting deeper down, it was it was crazy. Yeah, the fear of something uh, something just below the water that's going yeah. to get you, or the feeling of all the water above you, uh, it's just it's pretty impressive. And this game does a really good job uh, communicating that. I think one of the things the game does well talking about that terror is the sort of pacing of it um there's moments of tension and moments of relief like you crash land you put out a fire in your life pod oh and now you're in this beautiful coral reef area and later on in the game you'll be leaving that area to go to various terrifying environs and coming back to your safe base where you can craft things and replenish yourself on the food and water that's one of the basic mechanics of the game i think is to Make sure that your levels are high as far as water or hunger or air goes. Those are the three main resources to manage um, as far as your own personal health goes. One of the nice things about this game is that progressively these are easier and easier to obtain. You can take a look at a lot of games and how they show you your progression. Uh, One of the classic examples for this, you guys have played Metroid before, a Metroid somewhere along the line. It's um, very... A lot of them, you start off at the beginning of the game as a very powerful kind of thing. Uh, you have a lot of upgrades, you have a lot of things, and then you lose them after you've played around with them for a little bit. You have to get them back little by little. That's one way to show you how you're going to progress. Another way with this game, a simple example is with air supply and oxygen. Uh, at the at first, you have maybe 30 seconds of oxygen. You can dive down for a very limited amount of time. But as you can craft better and better air tanks and get um, better vehicles to go in, you can, your range extends farther down below the surface. Uh, you can survive in places you couldn't before. And that's, for me, that was always a, a nice moment to come back to that initial base, that initial starting point, and realize that here's the safety, here's all these things I know how to handle, I know this environment already. The one thing I thought was cool with that too is is that even though they take you back to a place that you know, and yes, yeah, so let's say you figured out how to make water with uh, with, with the uh, bladder fish, right? I ended up being in a, in a spot where I overfished a, an area and then I just, what was completely safe before and I knew how to handle the situation was completely changed again because now I could no longer do it the way I used to do it. So I had to I had to find a whole new way of surviving. And this game keeps you in a place where even after you've been playing a while, you're never super comfortable. Um, and, it, and it's always trying to kill you, pretty much. <laughs> and you always have to keep finding new and new ways to survive, which I really like. Because at the end of some of those games, like Metroid, by the end, you're a complete badass, right? Mm-hmm. You could totally survive. You can kill anything. In this game, you can't kill anything at the beginning. You can't kill anything at the end. The best you can do is just hope to do a little bit better. Yeah, and... And I think it's because this game does foster a feeling of urgency a little better than some other games do. Um, one of the main things that pushes you forward, and I'm going to bust into the you know, sort, of, sort of plotting of this game a little bit during this mechanical discussion, but um, they keep pushing you forward by getting a feeling of urgency because you're infected with a disease and your uh, PDA talking to in your ear Uh, continuously reminds you that you're exhibiting these symptoms of a disease and it's going to be about two weeks before you kick it. So you better be moving quick. You better keep, uh, you know, progressing to try and find out how to cure yourself. 
And at the end of the game, honestly, you know, as Clint, as you said, I felt that that was the point where I felt the most tension, uh, contrary to where most games, by the time you're heading into the last area, as you mentioned, during something like a Metroidvania, you feel like a badass. So it was a nice, uh, you know, upending of that normal mechanic. For me, the bacterial infection did not drive me forward as much as it might have for you, I guess. Um, I didn't feel like there was a hard limit on how long I could wait around before I would succumb to the disease. That's fair. They never, I'm not sure if there's an actual mechanical limit to how long you can spend in this game before the disease takes you, so to speak. It might just be fully fabricated for story purposes. But to be honest, you know, I'm suspending my disbelief anyway, because I'm on an alien planet crash landing and somehow finding raw chunks of refined titanium. So, you know. (laughs) <laughs> I do agree. suspended <laughs> yeah and I, I feel like the, the more you kind of role played and, and, and bought into that whole mentality of, of the survivor the better the game did at making you terrified the better it did at moving you forward and it just made it that much more exciting I do agree with what you said earlier Brian about the game being excellent at creating a sense of urgency and tension I remember when I was going through the Lost River and eventually I got to this alien disease research facility, um, I explored it, but then I ran out of water and food on the way back. And I thought I'd never make it back. But then I was just looking through my inventory and I realized you could eat these little purple gel sacks and it would give you maybe two or three water and food each. But there were enough of them on the way back that I could survive and eke my way (laughs) back to my base at home. Despite the fact that you were the size of a small truck by the time you returned <laughs> <laughs> home. Oh, Jesus, that's hilarious. And such a weird emergent thing. I think this game does a really good job of, you know, forcing you to keep exploring because it's giving you those um, those little breadcrumbs to drive you on via the plot. And as you mentioned, the, the Metroidvania aspect, in my opinion, is extremely well done because there's a couple different things that are sort of interweaving to allow you to have that metroidvania style progress and one of them is depth and two is materials available at a given depth so if you're breaking this down to like the most basic feedback loop of progression it's explore to a new depth slash you know radius outside of your safe home then you get new materials then you craft the thing that lets you go even deeper slash further then you go deeper and further and find new materials and so on and so forth but this game hides that so well throughout all of these different things that it really is pretty masterful in terms of its design. And it's not something you normally see in a survival game, from what I understand. Yeah, technically, there's just a bunch of fetch quests over and over and over again. Just get the next thing to go a little bit further. But it didn't. you're right, it didn't feel like that at all. Speaking to that, I think that's one of the, call it, master strokes of the game, is towards the very beginning especially, you had... Um, your exploration range was kind of limited by two things. Uh, I'll call these gated and natural uh, uh, natural barriers over here. Like something like um, your C module can't get below 300 meters. That's kind of like an artificial one that's created over there. Or uh, that there's uh, radiation when you enter this area and you can't enter there and survive. That's another kind of like artificial sort of thing. But there's also, it does a very good job with these kind of natural things where it's just the range that you have. It's something like not a depth 
limit, but it's rather how much oxygen you can breathe at a certain time, or how fast you can travel away from your base and what range you can cover. Um, like w- going from swimming to sea glide to sea moth to prawn suit or cyclops. I did prawn suit then cyclops. I'm not sure if you guys did the same, but you're eventually extending your range farther and farther. And once you have the Cyclops, you have a mobile base to go right there with you, which is when you really can start exploring anywhere you want to. Um, But the point is that each of those things like the Sea Glide, it can take you farther than you can go than just swimming. But because it also takes you there faster, you feel like you have more areas opened up to you. And that's kind of a, it's not an uh, artificial, it's not a created barrier. It's something that's just a more natural sort of thing. Yeah, it, it definitely, it hides, um, it hides its sort of built-in gating very well because it's something that makes diegetic sense to the player. Like if you get somewhere faster, you have more energy to explore, right? I mean, that's, you know, you're, you're conserving energy on the way and travel. Uh, mm-hmm. But I definitely think the the ability to have that mobile base at the end, and bases is another thing we have to touch on here in just a second, because, man, the base building mechanics in this game, delicious. Um, but the uh, the Cyclops is where I basically just decided I was going to be a nomad from here on out. Like, you know what? This base is good enough. I, uh, I was super attached to my cool little shallows base I built, but once you have that big... Uh, submarine that basically fulfills all the same functions. You can build little structures in it and everything you need. Um, you know, I was ready. I was like, all right, I'm either going to make or break. And that's why I think I, I felt that tension that maybe you didn't. Because I, I pretty much just threw everything on my back and decided I'm either going to beat this game here or I'm going to, you know, stay on this planet and die. See, I use that a little bit differently. I, I, I never packed up. I got actually really attached because the base building was so cool. Like, I felt like it was my lifeline. Like there was a moment for a long time where I'm like, I was doing everything I could to survive. And finally, finally I could build my base. And then my base allowed me to do special things. Like I could finally recharge my batteries. I could finally, uh, you know, create water with a desalination station. Like I never wanted to leave that. So I ended up leaving my Cyclops down in, in, in like a, a deep area, right where I could basically park my Seamoth, get on the Cyclops and just, I used it just as a vehicle to get down deeper, <laughs> basically, because I don't, I don't know. You, like, like you said, the base building was too cool. I never wanted to leave that. And, and eventually, I tried to build them, like, way deep. Like, I have a base in the deepest part of, of the game that I, that I f- found reasonable uh, down at that tree, that, that bioluminescent mm-hmm. tree um, where, where all, all the rays hung out. I built two bases in the whole game, and that was my second base down there. Was it? Yep. Nice. I mean, it was a pretty cool area. I mean, it's worth mentioning that, that this game's different biomes are super lush and super differentiated. And all of them oh, are yeah. big enough to be believable, too. It's not just like there's a patch of this, you know, random bioluminescent tree zone. There's an entire ecosystem that sort of, you know, is self-reinforcing and makes sense and has flora and fauna that interact within it. And there's, like, something on the order of a dozen or two of these things that are all pretty pretty different in my opinion and that in itself is cool and they sort of crib from real world areas too you know one example that i thought was really neat is right off the bat you see the cool like kelp zone and there's you know predators that live in there and fish and the various different you know specific 
fauna and flora that you can harvest from that area. And it has a very different feel than everything else around it. But I know uh, <laughs> there's, there's a, a bunch of great examples of this in the game, to be honest. Cool thing is you could spend a lot... I spent 50 hours in the game, and I think... Actually, over 50 now. And there are areas I still have not been to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a whole lot of different biomes in this. Uh, one of the interesting things, I think, with this game, too, was in the terms of pure exploration and discovery versus direction and giving you a sense to go to, it did a couple of interesting things. Uh, first of all, you go to caves or caverns especially later on in the game, they're not marked off for you to find very easily. They're typically things you have to walk around or swim around enough until you find it. Um, It did something, I think a very clever stroke of game design towards the beginning was when they had the life pause. You would get a distress call from them and you would get a beacon to go to them and they'd introduce you to new areas like the wreck or the kelp forest or the uh, mushroom forest or all these other areas uh, places that you might not find without a little bit of guidance over there but then towards the end of the game going towards the lava castle down in the um, the depths of the volcano and all that you had to kind of really search around and I thought to me this was a good moment because you had to search around while things were hunting you and you had to be careful of that. You had to cross their paths in order to find these things. But at this point in the game, I was trying to finish it for the book club. So I was looking <laughs> at guides online and knowing what I was supposed to be looking for. Yeah, I, and this is a, a little bit of a problem I had with with the game, to be honest. You know, I think we've uh, praised this game plenty, so I'm going to start actually criticizing for a minute here. Um, they... You know, there's there's a certain strength to a game that doesn't lead you around by the nose. You know, I am a huge Dark Souls fan, so clearly this is my my stuff right here. Um, but I will say that this game, to your point, Josh, took this to a fault. There was uh, a few areas in particular in that lava zone, like you mentioned, where you have to basically look for a tiny entrance to a cave in a pretty vast area, and you know, I ran into a couple times where despite my searching, I couldn't find the exact area and angle I needed to approach a particular point from to be able to find the, you know, plot specific alien base I needed to go to, which, you know, it kind of sucks because, you know, you're prepared and time is money for lack of a better analogy in this game. Like time is not an infinite thing you can, you know, inexhaustibly use. You're spending energy every minute you're in these deep areas. You're spending, you know, your hydration. You're spending your hunger. You're spending your health if you're getting attacked by enemies. And that, while reinforcing the, like, stressful aspect of this game, felt a little unfair when they were giving you such vague directions. Yeah, in terms of level design, I think there are things that could have been done better. If you guys look at Left 4 Dead, um, or the sequel, Left 4 Dead 2, then you can look at those levels and see what a good job they tell you of where to go next based on the lighting of the level or how the um, level is arranged. They do a very good job there. Now, granted, Left 4 Dead is a very extremely linear game and you want to know where you're going so you're not overrun by zombies. This game's a slightly different theme, but I do feel like the, the thermal plant especially, I had to wander around for a half hour while I knew what I was supposed to be looking for. Same here, but I can give you a more recent and more maybe relevant open world example. I mean, something even like uh, 
one of the more recent like Tomb Raider games or Far Cry games, um, they always have um, markings on rocks where you're expected to climb up or, you know, something to differentiate a climbable surface or, you know, in this game, it would be something to differentiate a enterable cave versus just a crevasse in the side of a mountain, you know, like something to guide the player there. Um, no, they could have they... done this with a lot of different things. They could have done this with fauna. They could have done this with flora. They could have done this with, you know, there's those little peeper fish that, like, the aliens clearly had some sort of symbiotic bond with to allow them to spread that enzyme, which, again, we'll get to this all in the plot discussion. But there's things they could have done to make it a little more a little more bre- breadcrumb dropping rather than just search this huge lava wasteland and try and find one random cave that makes sense. And Com- Compare yeah. the uh, Lost River... And the disease research place to the thermal plant. You go through the Lost River. You get to a giant skeleton. You're like, hey, let's look at this cool thing. From there, you look around and then you see alien architecture. You're like, hey, here's another cool thing. You go to that. Compared to the thermal plant, you got to search around. There's not that clear signal that this is what you should be going towards. And there's a giant thing there that's screaming, get away. You shouldn't be here. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, boy, should I go in the volcano? Uh, (laughs) No. Probably not a great idea, right? Generally speaking, but turns out that's what you should do. Weird. Um, You know, video game logic, right? Well, let's move it on to the discussion about the plot. Uh, what did you guys think of the plot? I thought it was good uh, in that there wasn't a whole lot to it. Uh, it was, Sad. it was, well, it, it, it was bare bones. There, there was plenty to it if you looked for it. Well, let me it just say, it. you know, right off the bat, one, I disagree with you that there's not a lot to it. But two, um, you know, I think it definitely did did its job in, in getting you off on the right foot. But um, you know what were you what were you gonna say about uh, you know what it what it did and what it needed to do? I think it was good enough to help you move along in the story, but not so much that it was overbearing. So if you wanted it to be just a survival game, it could totally be that for you. If you wanted it to be a base building thing, it could totally be that too. It was never forcing you on to the next thing. If you were totally content with staying where you were at for the next twenty hours and just doing what you're doing, cool. But uh there was something there to move it along when you were ready and it wasn't ever pressing on you any, any more than the survival aspects were. Once it was, there was one point at which it was and that's, uh, you know, after you land safely and everybody else on your spaceship dies uh, eventually after you try and rescue them um, and after you tr- almost get rescued and the alien containment facility, which again, this planet was previously occupied by aliens apparently and it is being contained by their defense system because there's a disease that is killing a lot of people here. We'll talk about that more anyway. But after all of that happens, the wreck of your spaceship decides it's going to go thermonuclear and destroy the entire area in which you're in. And you are forced, in fact, to go into that wreck and stop it from happening. Um, otherwise, See, we had a different experience. Yeah. <laughs> I actually took care of the, the second they said there was going to be a problem. That was like the first thing that I took care of. And I remember asking you about that. I guess you let it wait oh, a yeah. little longer. I was just like, oh, that doesn't sound too bad. You know, I, no. I can, I can let that like hang for a bit. That ship's like at least a couple hundred yards away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
the second I got the little uh, the I forget what it's called not not the sea moth but just the thing sea that glide. the sea glide yeah, yeah the yeah. sea glide yeah the second I got that I was over there trying to figure out how to get in there. Not me, man. I was like, uh, you know, they say that the ship sounds like it's in bad shape. It did get shot. I know it's in bad shape. I'm just going to let that be. Yeah, so I waited until it blew up, and <laughs> I was still alive <laughs> afterwards. I kind of wish it did go with more time limit. I liked how it did the um, time-limited events at the beginning, where you have to get to this island to see the get the rescue ship. Uh, you have to repair the ship before it dies. I feel like it could have um it could have done better maybe if it included the disease in that too. And maybe it was something very subtle like every day that passes you lose five or ten seconds of air capacity. Are you saying you want some Far Cry two action here where you're getting malaria randomly and having to pop no. pills? Because I never want played another it. game like that. Never played it, but it's it sounds like an interesting way to build tension. I wish that more games had the guts to go for something like that. I'm Josh, sorry, the I guts have, to do I have that. Great news for you. You're going to love Far Cry 2, and we're going to have to throw it on the backlog. I gotcha. I gotcha. I'm down for that. Yeah, but again, I think the reason they didn't was because this game can be a multitude of things for a multitude of people. And for me, I, I did love the story, um, and, and I wanted to play it through that way. But I know there are people out there that came from Minecraft or from other games like that that just wanted, or Rust or whatever, and they just wanted to build their base and do their thing. And I like that at the beginning, it creates that sense of tension. And there are timed events, like you said. But after you get through that, it lets you do your thing. It, if, if you just want to live forever on this planet and barely survive, they're totally cool with that. But if if that's not what you're into, it does have something to lead you on to something else. Which I thought was a, was, was a really satisfying conclusion, too. I agree. I think one of my like most triumphant moments in this game was uh, you know, eventually exploring the wreck getting the the plans to the escape shuttle and then you know deactivating the defense containment thing by curing the disease that plagued the planet and apparently it killed billions of interstellar life forms in the process so the game had like a definite hero arc too you know it was like you had to conquer this impenetrably difficult situation and eventually you do ride out into the into the sunset so to speak which is a cool thing and and massively in debt which i thought was the best part of the whole game <laughs> yeah the post credit scene is real funny where like you basically cure a disease that had killed a civilization of, yeah yeah many civilizations interstellarly but you get back to you know civilized space and they're like well because of all the resources used up on that planet you're a trillion credits in debt you can land after you find a way to repay that. Welcome home. <laughs> Capitalism, am I right? That's right. Well, I think it's a good time to move on to the talking about the themes of the game here. Um, I think the biggest thing this game had going for it, well, maybe along with exploration, was also fear. This game did fear very well, fear and terror. Clinch, you talked a little bit earlier about the fear of the open sea. And besides that, you I think you also have the fear of the deep. I mean, I don't know if you guys read National Geographics as a kid, like as much as I did, but there's some weird shit going on a thousand meters below. Like you could show me a picture of pretty much anything. Tell me it's from the ocean vents off of the Grand Barrier Reef or whatever, and I'd say, oh yeah, you know, I buy that. It's not an an exaggeration at all that 
I think we know more about what's going on on the moon than we do at the bottom of our oceans, for sure. Like, it is a completely different world down there, and this game captures that in a pretty cool way. So I, for one, think that it was super effective as a choice to put on display some of (laughs) basically portraying as alien some things that we actually probably have going on on our own planet. Yeah, the interesting thing, too, was, again, like we said earlier, no matter how deep you went, like, yes, this area is is inaccessible now. You get down there and you get past the fear of that one spot. Well, there's just something deeper, and you just have to keep going and going and going, and it keeps getting weirder and darker. Yeah, it almost makes me uh, think that, you know, there were there were whole like underground seas in this game, like basically half the half the world map, so to speak, takes place under where you initially start off. It's, it strikes me as kind of ironic that the final area of the game, that containment facility, uh, the disease research facility, is pretty much directly beneath the shallows you initially landed on, hmm. albeit a thousand meters below it. I didn't realize that. Talking about fear as a theme of the game, I'm reminded of when we did Soma as one of our book club games. And when we talked about that, I talked about fear versus horror versus tension. And I think those are driven by different things. Fear is, I would say, driven by the unknown. When you come across something and you don't know what it is or what it can do, um, you can, you're afraid of what it can do to you. Uh, I think horror, you talk about horror games or horror movies, they're more visceral. You see more jump scares. You see more gross-out things. Um, It's not as so much about building the tension up as throwing it right out at you. And then there's tension in general, which I think tends to be driven by scarcity. This game, I think, hits the fear and the tension parts very well. Uh, Tension through the resource management and then fear through coming on an alien world and the things on there being quite alien and that you don't know how to deal with them, how to to work with them. Like the first time you come across a Leviathan, you see it on your screen and then you get closer and then you realize, oh, wait, that's really far away still. And you realize how big it is and you don't know how it's going to interact with you or what it's going to try to do to you. Yeah. I remember first coming across uh, Leviathan at night uh, in my little oh. sea moth. You know, sea moth basically being the size of a Toyota Camry, but it runs underwater. <laughs> and this thing just basically takes it in its front jaws and, you know, shakes it around like a dog would a toy and, uh, you know, leaves me basically for dead. But that was one of the, like, most horror or terror depending on how you want to categorize it, moments of this game to me. And it it got more crazy from there, honestly. Like, if you try and go off the edge of the map, you see some real weird stuff that will eventually attack you. Yeah, I remember I had my sea moth, my little, um, tiny little submarine. I was exploring the wreck, too, and I got caught by a reaper. When it caught me in the jaws, I jumped out of the sea moth, left it for dead, (laughs) and took a sea glide back to... uh, back to the base and I was just hoping the whole time he'd be so busy with that uh, tin can I was in that he wouldn't chase me down but then I had to build a whole new ship (laughs) I I abandoned ship and well it was a really good the way the animations were done for it uh, because it turns you around to look right down the gullet 
of this giant sea snake that's chasing you. It's an extremely good moment. That was my favorite moment from the whole game, I think. So, I was about to make a point about how this game punches above its weight class in terms of, like, animation and sound design and a bunch of other things, because there's a ton of really unique, um, you know, animations and mechanics in this game. Like, when you can go into a moon pool and have it suck your, your little ship up and dock it, and, you know, that can happen both in a moon pool attached to your base or one attached to your sub. Like, there's a lot of really bespoke and cool animation in this game. I'm like, wow, this is an indie game. This is an early access game. And then I remembered, I had heard in an interview, this game cost $9 million to make. And that's not, that's like triple, triple A-ish indie, right? Like that's triple I, triple indie, so to speak. <laughs> I like that categorization, and I agree with that. This had a whole team of artists working on it. So You can I'm tell, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it, it, like it, it punches way above its designation as an indie, quote-unquote, game. Uh, to me, this is... Uh, falling into that category of games I think a lot of us thought we lost somewhere along the line where it's not quite triple A, not quite indie. It's uh, in the sweet spot where some cool shit can happen. As, as, as cool as the visuals were, my favorite still is is the audio. Because again, the best parts of the game were when you couldn't see anything and it was just the sound all around you. And, and I, I think the, the guy that worked on this game just did an amazing job. Alright, I, I agree. The sound design was very excellently done. Another interesting thing with the game was that it was a very non-violent game. Um, there were no real guns in the game. You had a knife which you could use. You would use to, you know, catch your prey, and you could fend off predators. Uh, and then eventually, you had the prawn suit, which could punch things and do that. But up against the Leviathans, there's no real way to defend yourself. All you can do is escape and hide, which I think is another great stroke for a fear game or a terror game or what have you. Um, I'm thinking just very quickly about Resident Evil right now. I've played maybe 10 minutes of one of them. I'm not sure which one, but I know you have a gun in that game, and the tension is comes more from resource management, from saying, I only have eight bullets, and how many zombies are coming at me? Um, But at the same time, the zombies, they become a known thing. I think that's one of the things with here, like the Leviathans, when you first see them or you see a new creature, you don't know what's going on or what's going to happen. And the more you interact with them, the more common they become and the more predictable they become, and there's less tension there because of that. Yeah, you start to learn their radius and how far away you need to stay so that they don't pick up your sound or your scent. Mm-hmm. And it was a super conscious decision by this director not to have weapons that you can use to harm the the fauna in the game. You know, this game was being uh, incepted on the wake of the uh, Sandy Hook shooting. You know, one of for those uh, unaware, one of the worst shootings in American history up to that point. Uh, of a school full of small children. So basically their thoughts were, uh, you know, at this point, why are we adding to this gun culture rather than trying to find a way to make an exciting and exploratory game without it? 
And so that's what they did. They basically took a hard stance on not having uh, guns or weaponry in their game, and they managed to design a super engaging and tension-filled game without that. And kudos to them for that. Absolutely. Very well done. Yep, the, the director said that they wanted to uh, help create um, a, a place where you would uh, find creative solutions and nonviolent solutions to your problems. Yeah, all in all, a very a very cool thing. You know, on top of that, you know, there's a, a few other pretty cool themes, including something along the lines of uh, what I would consider environmentalism. And Clint, as you had mentioned earlier in your uh, discussion, you had overfished an area and left it completely barren, forcing you to move on. <laughs> yeah, to very drastic effects. I found out that if I didn't solve this soon, I was going to be out of water and the game was going to be over. <laughs> I had no idea that was a possible thing. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I was about 35 hours in and I realized I have not seen a bladderfish in the shallows <laughs> in like 10 minutes. What's going on? And then you just hear, you know, you need water. And I'm like, well, I know, but I can't do anything about it. We got our own buffalo bladderfish bill over here. <laughs> <laughs> bladderfish, Clint. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. That's so funny. thumbs up, thumbs down. What would you think of the game? Well, I think it's clear based on it, at least my ratio of happy moments or exclamations to sad ones that this is a huge thumbs up for me. A double thumbs up, if you will. Mm-hmm. What's your three-word review? Yeah, so, you know, we here at the Pixelated Playgrounds like to give a quick summary, you know, review in three words, if you will. And mine is seek fluid intake, because these are the words that I heard more than any other words (laughs) in this game. Uh, The game has this super helpful, quote-unquote, PDA that will always remind you if you're getting hungry or feeling hurt or running out of uh, water, hydration. And despite the fact that there is literally water all around you, maintaining your water supply is one of the biggest pains in the ass in this entire game. And so um, I ended up not only (laughs) running out of water in the game mechanically, but metaphorically needing to uh, wet my whistle after some dry-mouthed anxiety of the game's (laughs) uh, particularly tension-filled moments. All right. For me, it was a huge thumbs up as well. Um, It was a great experience. I felt like the nature of the game changed very well and very smoothly from crashing and surviving and filling your basic needs to conquering the planet. Like I I did feel pretty badass at the end of my uh, Cyclops submarine that I could you know, I could run across a Leviathan and I was not scared shitless of what they might do to me anymore. I'd be able to survive, which was the hallmark of the game is survival. So my quote for the game still, just because it did fear so well, is fear the deep. Very cool. I was uh, definitely two thumbs up, too. This was probably my favorite game all year long. Um and I know I've been bugging you guys to play this for a really long time. Uh, and I'm glad we finally did. Uh, my three-word review was uh, swim, dive, and survive only because Brian already took seek fluid intake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I just like, again, like you're never truly at home or competent no matter how much you progress in the game. And it always forces you to go deeper and deeper and face your fear to find a way out. And I really like that whole theme of the game. All right. Well, next month. I think we'll be doing some Resident Evil 7, just in time for Halloween. 
That's right. It's a spooky month playing a spooky game. Uh, so, for Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Galecki. And I'm Clint Jones. And we are signing off. Dive deeper. Thank you.